Hey, I want to invite you guys, if you've been listening to this podcast and enjoying this content and are passionate about protection, you should know that we have an entire library of all of the protector symposiums that we've ever done uh, hosted at protectornation.com. You can go there and you can download those and you can watch every protector symposium we've had to date there online and you can learn protection tactics from the most, some of the most elite trainers in the world from the comfort of your own home. I think you'll be surprised about how much content we actually have there. Uh, It's very, very, very reasonably priced and you can upgrade your protection skills. Remember, protection is not all about the hard skills. 90% of it is all about the software, the programming, the way you see and move in the world to achieve a safer pattern of life. With that having been said, go to protectornation.com, join us there, and learn from the best of the best. Now, enjoy the show. Boom, what's up, you guys? Here we go. The Protector Podcast. I have a special guest. All my guests are special, but this individual has been really kind of one of the few men in my life that really ever showed me kind of like a, a form of masculinity that I could really respect and like kind of be inspired by. And uh, one of the reasons that I joined the Marine Corps in the first place, and I'll make this make sense, was, you know, I grew up with, and, you know, I have five sisters, my mom, my grandma, my auntie, they're all strong, feminist, black women, they don't need a man. All right, cool, you know, handle your business. But for a young black man, I was just kind of like, well, geez, you know, and I was like Cinderella dude growing up, right? So Cinderella ninja growing up. So then, I was like, I want to go to a place with men where I can be a man and I can be as hard and as aggressive as I want to be, have inside of me. And it's and it's it's okay because it's a place for us. And so that's one of the things that caused me to join the Marine Corps. And into the Marine Corps, I met good old Tyler Armstrong. And my he's etched in my name is as Sergeant Armstrong, because that's kind of where we were hanging out back in the day. But um yeah, man, we'll get into a little bit more about you here, but how you doing, homie? I'm doing so good, man, and it's a, it's an honor to be on your platform um, and watching everything you've built, man. It, so I'm I'm very excited to be here. It's so cool. Yeah, man. No, it's it's such an honor, and it's so cool because so like when I got to my platoon back in the day, right now I'm me, you know. I, I, I've been around the block a couple times, you know. I think I'm alright, you know. I think I'm hard, and I didn't. Uh, I completely, completely erase this from my memory <laughs> until we did a reunion recently, which was amazing. And I was like, I don't think anyone in our platoon ever tapped me out. And you were like, yes, I did, bro. I tapped you out. <laughs> yeah, very once. Yeah. Once. yeah. We conveniently forgot about all of that. <laughs> and I think we block I- out trauma. We always block out trauma. Hey, it's a protection strategy, man. It works. It works, you know? <laughs> I think I remember you, like, called us all out when we first got there, like, straight off the bat. Yep. 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 Uh, that's that's exactly what happened. Uh, like, well, it's it's something I did with – Um, I, I allowed – my whole thing with hard leadership always was is, like, I can't sit here with rank on my collar and debo you and beat you down just because i've rank on my collar you know i have to let you get your licks in or at least try and that was that was something um one of my senior marines did for me when i was a young boot growing up and i respected that and i dug that because you know he allowed you to test his metal because a lot of people as you know 
they hide behind title and rank a lot. I mean, that's just, that's society in general. It's not just the military, that's society. And so they hide behind it. And you're like, if I could just strip that title, what I could do to you. So I, and I, and I remember thinking that as a young boot, like looking at this guy who's a corporal or sergeant or even a salty Lance, like the, the um, rank we make up. Yeah. Your Lance Corporal, like, you know, it's like a rank that we make. The Marine Corps doesn't know it, but we know it. We know it. Just sitting there going, you know, if we could just drop ranks, that's what I used to do. Um, And because my senior Marines did it for me and I respected them more for it. I did it for everybody and I just line everybody up. I remember just lining up entire squads, platoons and say, come at it one after another. See what you got. Um, That way, you know that I'm in the trenches with you. Right. I'm not I'm not all talk. I'm not hiding behind this. Right. You know, I'm going to be hard on you yep. because I know what's out there. I know what's coming for us. And I, and I, and I know what's expected of us when we get in that environment. It's not what I expect of you. It's what that environment expects of you. Right. You know, no, 100% man. And I love that. Like, um, it was just one of the ultimate, like probably one of my first experiences other than my dad, he had, he was also heavy handed like that, but it was like one of my first experiences with healthy strong masculine leadership it was like this is what a leader should be should be and i try and i to this day try to bring that to my teams uh you know we go out we all shoot they all try to beat me ain't nobody really got your boy yet (laughs) there was one guy that that beat the brakes off me one day but i had covid when i literally had anyways no excuses he got me but I did have COVID. Anyway, <laughs> that's a pretty good excuse. That's a pretty good excuse. I don't know. <laughs> it breaks off me. I just couldn't get it together. Anyway, so, um, yeah, man, uh, I really respected you, you know, for that. And and then the way you just led us while we were out there, man, you know, out there in the sand. But since then, you've been up to a lot of things. You know, you're a professional protector um, in many ways as well. Um, I guess so everyone knows who they're listening to, you know, can you give us a little background, what you've been up to, what you're into, what you know, where you at? Yeah, so uh, we knew each other in the Marine Corps for a short time. And then, um, uh, you know, I was my, that was my, I think your first deployment was my fourth. Um, <laughs> and I was what, and I, I was what they call a retread, right? So, you know, I had my ex-wife at the time, you know, convinced me to get out and wanted me to do something a little more dainty. I couldn't stand it. I came back in. I missed the Marine Corps. What can I say? And then because I came back in, the Marine Corps goes, you're a recruiter now. After that deployment, they flagged me. Uh Um, So that's why I didn't go on that second, uh, that float with you guys. As I was like, nope, not doing that. (laughs) So uh, I went and looked for hot fills. SOI happened to be a hot fill and I jumped on it. And, uh, and they asked me when I got to SOI, they said, Hey, you know, um, you want to do machine gun leaders? Cause I knew some of the guys that were there from previous deployments units whatever and i said no i chose to stay in the trenches really? like i wanted to stay i want to stay with the young guys um and that was my that was my most favorite thing i ever did in the marine corps was a soi instructor honestly that was my, my most favorite thing i ever did if that's correct english most favorite 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 yeah i'm saying I think you just say favorite i think we're yeah <laughs> and um i used to do the same thing with them that i did with you guys like uh, at the end of every cycle I'd get, I'd tell them in the office, I say, if you, any of you guys um, have any issues or any beef or feel like I was unfair, or you just want to test your metal before graduation, come on in the office um, and we can handle that. And I used to do that too. And uh, take off my rank and roll with them on that concrete floor. One, one day it was like five or six of them. I was out there in formation, like shaking. I was so fatigued, <laughs> had a black eye, you know, one of those things. 
I love um, it. During that time, uh, I put in for an officer package, got accepted to MESEP. Um, and while I was getting at, and looking at schools, Norwich University up in Vermont said, uh, hey, we need active duty. Come on up here for free. Free is my kind of prize. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I always had aspirations to to get into, you know, um, as like get into physical therapy or get into something in the medical field. Science always fascinated me. So when I went up there. I double majored in sports medicine, health sciences and biology. And I attained my CSCS, my uh, Certified Strength and Conditioning Certification. And uh, while I was up there, I got to intern as the um, Assistant Strength and Conditioning Coach. And the guy liked me so much, he let me do it for four years. I got like six credits out of it. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, learned, learned a lot about the strength game and physical fitness. He sent me to seminars. And I just, I just got in the hip pocket of all these guys that are like generals in the field of this, you know, on a professional level and learned so much about the anatomy of fitness and all that, which I already kind of knew a good amount of, of, about, but then I just, that just tailspinned off. Well, as fate would have it, and this is a long story, so I'll hit the short version, you know, gotten a little bit of trouble, gotten a, you know, classic Marine story, right? Got in a drunken bar fight and lost my commission. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's more to that. Uh, what's that movie, Con Air? Basically, think Con Air guy. <laughs> beginning of Con Air. Yeah. Yeah, which that was the one I got caught with because I tried to flee the scene. The cops rolled me. I mean, uh, when we got up there in college in Norwich, there was a, there wasn't a whole lot to do other than drink and fight. If you weren't, and I was I was still involved in sports. I played college rugby. I wrestled. Um, I did those things. Had the college experience, but then um, I also like to uh, go into the bars and those young college kids that thought they were tough showed them how untough they were. Type thing and ego boost and. It caught up to me, you know, when you, when you do wrong, eventually it'll catch up to you. Now, how the situation was handled and how I lost my commission was actually illegal and how his court martial was illegal on the command side. They were out to get me and I was able to prove it in civilian court. It was self-defense because it was technically, yep. <laughs> um, it, was, technically it was, you know, one of those things, but, um, Besides that, what I like to tell everybody about that story is I used to make I used to tell every little detail about the legalities of it to yeah. show how innocent I was. At right. the end of the day, I wasn't innocent. And you know, in order when you don't when you don't carry yourself above reproach, right? I mean, eventually the devil's gonna catch up to you, whether yep. you're right or wrong or indifferent, right? Yep. It'll so, time, it'll be the time when you didn't actually do it, when you get caught for all the times you did. <laughs> and you just you just take your licks if you know. You, I don't know. That's how I am. I'm just like, yeah, I deserve this. <laughs> yep. Yep. So that was the nuts and bolts of it is like it just it caught up to me. Right. Everything caught up to me. So I went back to fleet, deployed a couple more times to Afghanistan while I was at it, uh, got an S3 operations and then kind of got into intel a little bit in a weird way. They, um, I couldn't get my commission back, even though I proved my innocence through a caveat that happened through the court martial. They wanted me to go back to OCS, right? They were like, okay, great. You're innocent and all that. Two years later, a couple of deployments later, they're like, all right, put in a package, go back to OCS. And I said, no, 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 pump the brakes. I already did OCS. Yeah. Not doing it a second time. And they're like, well, you know, standards have changed and TCOM has changed this and that. So you need to go back to OCS. I was like, that's doing boot camp three times. No, sir. Wow. <laughs> they um they had these force reduction tools set up because they're reducing the military back then, where you could uh if you were 
15 years or more, you could retire early at a prorated uh, pension, or you could get out with like a payout. And I was 14 years in at that time. So I, I took the payout and split, uh, got a job in the oil and gas industry down in Louisiana. Well, part of that caveat is I was, uh, I was a staff sergeant at the time. I got out. I took the VSP, as it was called, Voluntary Separations Pay, went down to oil and gas industry, was working down there for corporate oil and gas in Louisiana. Um, I What they do is they place you on the IRR for three years. Okay. Well, because of that operations background and intel background that I ended up being part of, they yeah. recalled me for a project up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, then I lose my job in Louisiana, go to Florida, get a new job working for Merlin corporate as a HR security advisor. Meanwhile, I'm also going up to Milwaukee, Wisconsin on active duty orders. Well, Mar four res and uh, we're doing both. I'm double hatting uh, both. Right. Because they're like, well, we'll go up here, work on this project in Milwaukee, set up COCs regionally, domestic COCs that are joint. They're like JSOX with, you know, DEA, FBI, all that. And they said, uh, well, when nobody's here and we're not really turning and burning too much, you can go back down to Florida. Mm -hmm. So I was, I was between Florida and Milwaukee. And then about that time is when my first marriage is ending, uh, through all kinds of various nonsense. And I said, you know what, I'm going to go contract. Um, I hate life. (laughs) I I would just want to hide away. Um, I didn't have my faith at this time. Right. Um, so I was like, I'm gone. I'm out. Peace. Life sucks. So I went and contracted and I was doing, I was double hat in the Marine Corps and contracting. I was jumping on like three month contracts and then quitting and coming back, doing my time in the Marine Corps. Yeah. Going back contracting. I was doing both at the same time, uh, contracts in Afghanistan, sub-Saharan Africa, things like that, which um, some of those contracts were PSS, PSD things. A lot what you guys do with like um, executive protection, like a WIPS program and things like that, that are very, very similar. Thank you. Um, Man, and, uh, I yeah. was literally like, I was literally, I remember starting to get into that and I just had this epiphany that was like, dude, because I got pulled right into EP and it was so, it was the dream job. And I just remember being like, you're going to be in a house. Things are going to be, I had this vision. It's like God gave me this vision. Like you're going to be in a house. Things are going to be going down. The heat's going to be turning up. And all you're going to think to yourself is, why am I here again? Like, why did I do this again? Like, did I, did you have to freaking do this again? Do you forget? You know, only those who ain't been there want to go there, or unless you get combatutionalized, but I wasn't yet. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry I cut you off. And I think, no, you're good. Um, what you just brought up was an amazing point. So I'll get to that in a minute. Institutionalization is real. So, I'm doing the contract thing, doing that. Marine Corps comes out and they said, okay, well, this little tour of duty we got for you is up. So I was like, okay, well, I've been doing it this long. I got promoted to Gunny. I was like, uh, I was like, oh, I'll re-enlist in Mar 4 Res. What's the worst that can happen? They're like, ooh, your medical record's not so good. And then they kicked me out again. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got medically retired out of Mar 4 Res, if you can believe it, because they didn't need me anymore. So they went, uh, let, let's look through your med record. Cause when you go to reenlist now, all of a sudden they're scrutinizing everybody's medical and legal record and all that. And like, nah, you got to retire. So I basically retired from the Marine Corps like three times. Talk about a toxic relationship. <laughs> and, uh, so then I stay contracting, uh, marriage is ending. Um, you know, I got my, my, my kids, I got two kids. I got a daughter. She's going to be 22 this year. I got a son. He's 16. And they, um, 
they're they're kind of at odds with me because of what their mother has told them things like that um so i'm just kind of depressed and done with life so i'm just going to go overseas make money for everybody give it to everybody and then come home figure out the next step or maybe take care of it that's yeah. where my mind was yeah um actually in the pit of despair and it's funny you say what you said where you look up and you go really this is this is how far i've come like I'm literally doing the same things I was doing back in the military, like decades ago. Yeah. Like I haven't grown right. and it, that caused the depression in a funk. Yeah. Um, and then, so it was, it was through these, this despair and depression, all that, that I reestablished my relationship with the Lord yep. and got on that. And then I realized what I had to do. I was going to come back and I was going to, reclaim my title as my kid's father and i was gonna tell people about jesus and all that and then COVID hits boom but i'm in uh and i'm in kandahar kandahar <laughs> afghanistan i get stuck there for a year and a half straight that's how the lord does things he right. goes yep yeah, yep and um been oh, to back up and like the children uh, of israel <laughs> You've been yeah. like the children of israel <laughs> as i decide so we, i'm gonna live my yeah yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, what gives, what gives, what is this? I'm doing what you want me to do. I'm living my life for you. And to back up off of that, because I was in despair and I was contracting, what I would do is I'd take leave and I just roll around the globe. I, and just, you know, set, you know, yeah. Yeah. I never put Smoke every little thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's what everyone that's what's done, you know. That's what I would have done. That's what I was basically doing the same time in the EP industry, running around, traveling the world, and just laying waste, you know, to as many beautiful women as I could. <laughs> and that's what I did. Uh yeah. I went all over the world. Um and uh, you know, you know, so many different ways and became like a, a verified like verified sex addict i didn't i didn't think that was a real thing i heard people say they're sex addicts before and i was like that sounds like a bunch of malarkey and sure enough that's what happened everyone likes sex like how do you become an addict you just like it everyone likes it <laughs> that's kind of the thought yeah. through my head like eh. i remember hearing the same types of things being like eh. i don't know if i was i wasn't verified <laughs> but i was oh. busy <laughs> well once i reestablished my relationship with the lord i took i took I like, I literally cut off all communication from women. I just went on a woman fast, just boom, boom. I didn't talk to nobody. I didn't look at nobody, nothing. And I wasn't married or anything. So I had license to do what I want. And I literally went gone and cut it off. I did that. And I was, I was able to do that through therapy. So I'd come back home and I'd, I, you know, I'd go through therapy, go back overseas, whatever. And then I was doing, I was even doing remote therapy when I was in Afghanistan, I'd stay up late at night to make sure I could get zoom meetings with therapists. And I worked at it and I worked through prayer and supplication. And I, and I did that and all that. And God makes me stay in Kandahar for a year and a half. Wow. And I'm like, Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Finally, I come back home and, um, you know, uh, I got enough money to where I can stick around for a little bit. I reestablished my relationship with my kids. I'm doing some odd jobs here and there. And then I got, then I realized I need a job. And I reach out to my buddy that's working for PACAF and PACOM. He goes, we need a lot of people like you, especially your clearance level, your experience. And we're shorthanded and we're growing. PACAF's growing because it watches the Pacific theater, China, Russia, almost 
touches it, all that stuff. I said, okay, cool. So as I'm standing by, I'm thinking the Holy Spirit tells me I can start dating again. And I'm a little nervous about that because I haven't been, I've been rolling around globally, but I haven't dated American women in a very long time. That, and I don't know, it's been COVID and I've been like woman free for like a year and a half straight, like on purpose. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, how do I go about this? So I asked the advice of fools. Right. And they, they, they rep the whole uh, getting online and dating online thing. And I just, that's kind of like an alcoholic walking into a bar, <laughs> but I don't know what I'm doing. And so it's weird because I don't know how, but I got, but I have a that got married from online. So I said, well, I'll give it a try, which is, which was something I should have never probably done looking back at it. Yeah. So I jump on, uh, I get advice of which ones are the best ones. I jump on one because I know that multiple will be too much to keep up with. I jump on Tinder. Of all of them, I jump on Tinder, right? I could see right away why that was a terrible idea. That was like just swipeity, swipeity, swipe. Yeah. I got, I got just lined up. I got dates lined up from now until Christmas. And this is like October. Yeah. That's why I got it to get me married before all this stuff came out, bro. I don't know if I had to came from that, man. <laughs> he would have had to reach and pull me out, bro. Because it's so easy these days. These dudes, like back in our day, you had to like low crawl with your K bar in your mouth, get close to your prey. Now it's like you're sitting on a hill with a sniper rifle, just to tap, to tap. Like they just jump in the back of your truck now. <laughs> like it's a whole different. I would. I don't know if I'd have made it out, man. <laughs> Well, God, God takes care of his own. This is how I know. This is one of the reasons I know God loves me is, uh, so I jump on Tinder and I'm just like collecting them. I got all the, I got, I collect them all. It is it, Tinder is so easy. Right it's just boom, match, 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 match. And you're like, there's no sport in it. Yeah. So I've set up my first date. I got my first date. I've been on Tinder for like five days and I got, and I make sure I set up dates. So I have, I literally have a girl, girl one every, every night. Yeah. Boom, 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 boom. Lined up for months, dude. It's crazy. Yeah. So I, I go to this date. We're going to walk around this lake in Orlando. I show up. Um, This this girl was the one I wanted to date The right at the gate. She was just the coolest one. Conversation flowed. And she was just top to bottom, gorgeous, exactly my type. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll do her. You know, I had to I had to get a top 10 at least so I knew who to schedule out. So I was like, I could do her number one. We had a conversation. This is this is funny. We had a conversation about how she goes on walks by herself at night all the time. I'm like, somebody as pretty as you should not be doing that, especially in the city. You don't know what kind of weirdo is going to jump out of bushes and get you. And we'd have this whole long conversation about it, how she would see it coming and all that. Classic. <laughs> said, okay. So when I show up, I see her walking. And I call her and said, hey, I can't quite see him. Um, I think I'm on the other side of the pond. Keep walking or whatever. And I hide behind a tree. Yeah. This is how out of practice I am. This is how, just think about this. I hide behind a tree. And when she comes around the corner, I jump out and scare her. Blah! Yeah. Like that. She looks at me like I'm the biggest idiot on the <laughs> face of the planet. I look at her and the Holy Spirit goes, that's your wife. I was like, whoa. Just like that. Yeah. I was on Tinder for five days. First girl I meet. Boom. The Holy Spirit says, that's your wife. She's looking at me like, that's an idiot. And she was thinking in her mind, this is going to be a one and done little day, a little walk around the pond and call it good. Me again after this. He just ruined it. <laughs> yeah. 
it was on her face, but the Holy Spirit said, that's your wife. And then I'm like, and I realized in the moment when I did that, her just the look on her face that I had screwed this up already. Yeah. And I'm like, uh oh, I was like, I thought it'd be funny, but I jumped out and scared her. We never even met before. And she's looking at me like, okay, bro. But I'm my like, nope, Holy Spirit said, that's my wife. I'm the comeback king. Yeah. She, she, she turns around and her anatomy is exactly my type too. It was like, this is how I know God loves me. <laughs> yeah. We, we walk around, we end up rocking around that thing six or seven times this late, just talking and chopping it up. And that, and then we end up, we end up dating. I went on Tinder, turned it off, got rid of everybody, told everybody thanks, but no thanks, which it's funny because the small egos of some of these women that are out there, they're just so used to the onslaught that when I said, Hey, look, I found somebody, but it was nice talking to you. I was trying to be honest yeah. and would just come firing back at me. Like I was the worst thing ever. I was like, let me get this straight. You guys complain when men are dishonest with you. Oh, he's a pig, this, that, blah, blah. But then when I'm honest with you, I'm still the back. I'm, I'm still the devil. <laughs> yeah. It was really interesting. You know, that we, we know the game, man. <laughs> Yeah, man, that's gnarly. I know the game. So um, we're dating for about a month, and, like, yeah, of course, the Holy Spirit always told me this is my wife, and I can see why. Yeah. Uh, this woman is just so smart and so put together and so complete in ways I'm not. She's a complete person. She was raised in a loving household. Yeah. Um, I wasn't. I was raised in a broken home, yeah. uh, an abusive home. Yeah. Um, and she was just so complete in ways I wasn't, but then I was complete in ways she wasn't. She's very, because she was raised in kind of a sheltered household, believe it or not, she was, her parents are Jamaican immigrants. Yeah. They, they married in Brooklyn, New York. That's where she was born and she was raised there until she was about 13, moved to Florida and then was in a very big Seventh-day Adventist culture. And she even went to college at a Seventh-day Adventist college. So she's very sheltered and naive about what the streets have to offer, which is why we had that argument about her walking around at night and she thinks that's just okay. Yeah. So she's complete in all the normal ways a person's complete where I'm broken, but I'm complete in those ways. And we just complete each other. And I'm like, this is the one, this is my wife. Well, then my buddy calls from PACAF. He says, hey man, we're ready for you. Throw in an app. We got you, man. I told these guys about you. We're going to hire you, you know, federal job. It's going to be great. You're going to make a lot of money. We need you, blah, blah, blah. It's going to like, well, I'll get you today. We'll get you orders today. And I said, Ooh, I was like, well, that's cool. You know, pack F Paycom. I was like, Hawaii, Guam. That sounds cool. He's like, Ooh, think further North. The vice traps just waiting for you. And all these, yeah. like, I'm never going to, I'm not going to make it. Like, <laughs> yep. Yep. He goes, uh, <laughs> He goes, I think further north, homie. I'm like, well, he goes, uh, Alaska. I was like, oh, you know, I just, I, you know, I see some beautiful things down there in Anchorage. He goes, no, 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 bro. Like in Alaska, like in the interior. And I'm like, like how far in the, he's like up in Alaska, like nowhere near really a whole lot, but that's where the hot fills are right now. And it's just getting your foot in the door and all that. But then I thought to myself, I was like, I would absolutely love that adventure. Cause remember I went to college in Vermont, which was kind of the middle of nowhere. We call Norwich university Hogwarts one stoplight in the town. One stop. um, I was like, yeah, I was like, yeah, that sounds good. I'll do that. And then I go, I get off the phone. I go, oops. I was like, I got wifey here or who I think is wifey, whether she knows it or not. Right. Is Lord, the what do I do? 
This is the test. Here's the test. So I come to her and I say, now remember what I said. This is a Jamaican, half Jamaican, half Belizean, because that her mom was like part Belizean too. Jamaican and Belizean living in Florida. This is a tropical lady. <laughs> and I go to her and I say, hey, babe, guess what? Uh, I got a job. Oh, honey, congratulations. That's so good. Bubba, I'm so proud of you. Bubba. I was like, uh, she goes, where, 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 where is it? Uh, and I was like, ah, it's, it's far. <laughs> she goes, oh, so like a commute? Alaska. She laughs. She thinks I'm kidding. <laughs> I was like, I'm not kidding. She goes, Alaska? I was like, yeah. She goes, oh. And I said, okay. I was like, check this out. I was like, the Holy Spirit, and I and I told her this, and I was like, the Holy Spirit told me you're the one. I didn't say wife, because I didn't want to weird her out. Yeah. So, <laughs> the Holy Spirit said, you know. Yeah, you know, like, you're my wife, and it's been a month in, and she's like, okay, psycho. Yeah. Well, she goes, um, I go, one of two things. I was like, I either don't take the job and I stay here and I can find something else. Um, if it means losing you, I won't take the job. I was like, or I was like, it's not a contract. I'm not going overseas. I'm not in the military. You can come with me. I can come with you. I was like, yeah, you can. She goes, okay. So next, so she prays about it that night. Next day she calls me. She says, I'm coming to Alaska. I was like, are you serious? She goes, yeah, babe, it'd be an adventure, blah, blah, blah. If it's with you, I'm down. Now you know why I threw a ring on it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. That's you, yeah. because I ain't going with you there. I... <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll get up there at some point. But, man, it's like when I see these guys doing doing uh, 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 ice bath cleanses or ice bath things, and they're all like, our ancestors used to be in the ice. And look at me, I can get in the ice. And I'm like, yo, y'all white people need to chill. My ancestors were not in the ice. <laughs> <laughs> I know exactly how warm the water was, y'all. Crazy. No, man. Awesome, <laughs> well, because you got to figure, uh, you're from the Bahamas. She's from Jamaica. Very, very similar background and thin blood. This woman came up to Alaska, like moved, dropped her entire life, quit her job, sold off all her stuff, and came up to Alaska for me. Yeah. And I was like, if that's not a wife, yeah. I don't know what is. Right. Um, yeah. And so, and now we have, and then my son, my ex-wife was very manipulative. She manipulated my daughter and my son moving from Florida to Nevada to start a business with her sister. My son was miserable. Mm -hmm. A lot of emotional abuse was happening to him. My daughter went, screw you. She was an adult at the time. Anyway, my ex-wife just wanted to glean from me what I was giving her and my daughter so she could pay rent so she could live in a higher than what she should be living in type standard place. My daughter moved with her boyfriend, moved back to Florida. Yeah. And then my son calls me and begs me, dad, I need to come live with you. I can't stand it here. Blah, blah, blah. We put in the paperwork of the court. Now I got my son. So yeah. my son's up here in Alaska with me too. It's my son, my wife and myself. Yeah. And, uh, and now I'm coaching wrestling and football at the high school. Cause my son's involved. And, um, that's part of my ministry too, is working with them young boys. And yeah. that's been a blast. That's been an absolute blast. I've loved every second of it. And yeah. I'm up here working a federal job up in beautiful Alaska. And that's that's where the story is. Yeah, where, that's where we're at. What would you say about, and it's awesome to see how God's restored you and just the things you've done, you know, like like you guys don't understand. Like I was on my first appointment, you know, with Sarn Armstrong. I watched this dude. <laughs> we had a gunny. 
and uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I remember it was like before two weeks in the in country. We're rolling from the Haditha Dam down into Haditha. And I remember you coming back to the Hummer and telling him like, hey, we can't go down this hill. Like we can't continue this patrol. We're getting channelized. We get blown up. We get back into the bottom of the hill. Now I'm boot Rogers, freaking John Coffee boot. I'm like setting security for this conversation. You guys are like talking. And I remember listening to this and uh, I remember him saying, you know, now, mind you, this this gun came from MC MCT or whatever we call it, where you know, <laughs> not the infant school of infantry. And he's like, "I'm a gunner, son in the United States Marine Corps." He's like, "Do what I say, Corporal." <laughs> and then you like go up there, and I think, but I remember you just were like not doing it, like you were just like sitting in your Hummer. And I could have sworn I remember him driving by, maybe even flipping you off out the window. <laughs> Going down the hill, and Doc Bobbins says, says something weird in our home V. He's like, he says something stupid. You know, how Doc is. We love Doc. We love Doc. He's like, <laughs> what I love about that. I'm like, what, bro? Like, because now we haven't seen anything yet, really. You know, like, and uh, he's like, the enemies can. They just can't find us, man. We're in the middle of the desert, bro. They'll never find us. And I look at him, and I shut up, Doc. And I turn around, and I look back outward. Three, two, one, boom. And I remember that drive, that home V tire, like like 200 feet in the air. And of course, of everybody who saves Gunny, runs in there with your one brown eye, one blue eye. John, I'm like Boot Rogers watching you like run into the fire and you run in there, grab him, you know, pull him out, call it in, get him out. He's, you know, doing the morphine dance. Yeah, they are morphine. You know, God bless him. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah, man. And I was like, so, you know, for me, I got to see you in combat and see all these things. And then we kind of lost touch when we got out. So it's awesome to see just how your life has come, come full circle. And now we talk, you're at a high level as a professional protector. You know, you're also a man of God. Um, all the weightlifting and masculinity stuff we used to do is all amplified because now you're like like a schoolboy with it. And it's just amazing, man. And, and you have so much to give, man. So it's been it's been awesome to sit there and like learn from you too. Real quick before I forget this, if you guys have friends you want to connect with from the military, get on Marco Polo. Get a Marco Polo thread going. And uh, that's how we've been able to continue talking and continue chatting. We can get into that in a second. But yeah, man, one of the things I wanted to ask you real quick when you were running through all that was, so you said you stopped smashing chicks for a year. Year and a half. Year and a half. I'm sure. And so, you know, he's he's like, I mean, he's one of us guys. High T. He can probably whoop you. He can probably beat you down. Like we went and did the, uh, 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 a platoon march at our reunion last month. He was the first one up the dang hill, all the way up the, the beast. Some of you guys know where the memorial is in Camp Pendleton. That hill will break you off. He's the first one up there. So high testosterone. How do you end up not, you know, how do you end up giving up a year and a half of your life to celibacy? Yeah. So, um, well, and a lot of people would say, well, didn't you just say you were stuck in Kandahar for a year and a half? I was like, yeah, there's a lot of female Air Force and contractors, and it's a NATO base. So they were hiring all kinds of Kenyans and Cambodians and Filipinos. There's plenty 
on that base. So before anybody thinks, oh yeah, but you were stuck out in Afghanistan, of course you weren't getting none. There was plenty on those Air Force bases because I was working as the regional security coordinator for the log cap. Um, and I was doing um, counter intel with like Afghanis coming on base that wanted to work on base and running their backgrounds and interrogations. And there was a lot, a lot of play on base. Aboard. Before somebody thinks to themselves, oh, well, it's easy if you're in Kandahar. Anybody who's been to Kandahar that's actually been there can tell you it's there's a lot there. And of course, you know, we called it we called it Kandahar Q which means you could be a soft six here in the States, but you could be a nine or a 10 out there. Always drove me nuts that these women thought so highly of themselves. It's like, man, back in the States, we wouldn't even be looking at you. Yeah. Yeah. So to answer your question, what it was is, um, because before that, before I went celibate, I was trying to get back on my relationship with, with the Lord. I got saved when I was 30 and then I fell off. I backslid. Right. Um, I got saved when my, when, um, and that's a whole nother story for another time when I got saved, or maybe we cover it today, but I got saved when I was 30 and then on fire for God. And then the drop off, right. When you're not feeling a certain way and you backslide and my backslide was really because of women. And so I was trying to get back with the Lord and back on track because, I knew I was doing wrong and I kept doing wrong and it was an addiction and I'd pray about it. I'd fast about it. I'd ask for provision. And I was like, nothing's working. God won't take this away. And here's, here's why, here's what I discovered is it's not enough to cut the fruit off a tree. The fruit would just grow back. So whatever addiction you have or whatever thing is wasting you away as a man, whatever's taking energy from you that gives you nothing in return. It's not the fruit you got to cut off. You have to get to the root of it to kill to kill off whatever it is. And you got to figure out what the root of it is. In other words, how do you handle yourself on a day-to-day life? What are you putting before your eyes? What are you listening to? What are you speaking and thinking? You got to get to the root of it. Because I can say, okay, I'm not going to, I'm going to cut off women for right now. And you might be successful for a couple of days or weeks. It's going to come back around because you're still thinking about it. You still flirt with girls when you see them. You still, you know, you still texting somebody. You still, my, okay, I just, I watch soft porn, not hard porn, right? And, and, and all these little things and caveats that you do, it's how you carry yourself on a day-to-day. You cut the root off, it kills the plant. Mm-hmm. And the fruit off fruit grows back. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I realized is I, you know, sitting there blaming God, like, oh, I prayed. I prayed, blah, blah, blah. I fasted about it. I prayed about it. Not none of it works. Mm-hmm. And when you explore the nature of God and you read Isaiah, oof, I forget the actual verses. There's Isaiah, there's Matthew 28. There's there's a lot of different places where you look where it talks about how to do that, how to get to the root of your sin, whatever it might be. Right. And remove it. Um, and that that's for any addiction, right? That's alcohol, which I had an issue with alcohol once upon a time as well. Um, that's with drugs. That's with anything that takes you from your purpose. Anything can be an addiction. Yeah. Food can be an addiction, right? As we've seen with the obesity uh, epidemic. 100%. And it's all about getting to the root of it. What about your trauma? Maybe some sort of trauma that causes you to be this way, right? Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of dudes out there that are hyper-masculine, which is actually not masculinity. And this is something I explain to people all the time. Masculinity isn't out there 
slaying a bunch of women because that you can't, and you can't control how you're always pursuing people because it's, you're fulfilling a fleshly emotional need. That's actually a very feminine trait. What's masculine is being able to control your emotions and be able to can control your urges, right? That's what's masculine. What's Whoa. masculine is the ability to focus beyond the clouding of your fleshly needs and your hormones and all that. It's what separates us from the beast, that imposable thumbs. Yeah. You know? So um, you know, relying on emotion and emotional need, which is usually the the route of adultery and all these other things, it's you know, yeah, we have our physical needs, but it's in part it's emotional. And God builds sex that way. And once you realize that, you start getting to the root of why do I do this? Yeah. And how and then you walk in that path. Every day I'm gonna work on not thinking about these things. I'm gonna think of the things of God or my purpose. I'm gonna focus on other things. You actually, um, one of the best things about you and your de facto ministry that you know and then and i don't know how many people are paying attention to it or not as you talk about that all the time whatever you you said something super insightful and now i use it mm. don't worry you get the copyright but i i say that saying now it's a saying you use that i say to other people you said yeah these these breezies as you call them these breezies out here you know they uh they're attractive and they're sexy and all that and their attention's sexy but my purpose is sexier yep and I, i'm like I was like, that's the one. That's a way to throw that entire little bow over that one, right? 100%, so, man. Yeah. That's awesome, dude. No, that's really good stuff. That's deep stuff. The root system, man, and understanding yourself and what's driving this and what do you really get from it? You know, like that's what really helped me because I think, you know, growing up, I always desired women, but I was always like kind of friend zone chubby and like God never let me be too. I couldn't be too sexy. You know what I'm saying? He couldn't let me. <laughs> he had to nerf you. Yeah, yeah, I was always like a like a six, seven. You know what I mean? Like I could get a girlfriend, I could get a date, but like I wasn't killing the game, right? I'm only, you know, I'm only like five, nine, five, ten with my church shoes on. Five, five, ten, you know what I'm saying? Anyway, so I um I always kind of like was pursuing that. And then I finally got to a place in life where I could have my uh, that, you know, and I just was like, but man, now it's time for my purpose. And then I think what really helped me was be like, what are these chicks giving me, bro? Like. I'm going to get done spending all this time and all this energy and all this texting and DMing and Uchi Gucci Gucci. And, 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 and if I go on a date, I'm spending time and assets and resources. If I get a hooker, I'm spending time and assets and resources. If I, if I go out and just start hunting, which I can do, man, time, assets, resources, I'm not going to get to where I need to be. And I'm going to be so torn apart by the time I get there. Like, I don't feel like I necessarily lose anything, but you do lose things in these endeavors. And you only have so much time, attention, and bandwidth. And I'm not that smart. I need every minute I can to work on what God's got for me. I mean, the, the, the timer is going, the ball's in the air, and I'm trying to get to the spot, you know? So I started to be like, and then I started having victories. You know, and then it was like, boom, podcast is hidden. Symposium is hidden. And I started to kind of be like, man, this is really not fun, but meaningful, but valuable. And one thing gives you momentum to the next thing. And I'm helping people's lives. And it's just like, like, I see these chicks. This is like, it's like baby back ribs commercials. Man, them ribs look good. God bless you, girl. You know, but I'm on a diet because I got to be about my father's business. And that is so much more valuable. You know, being in shape and healthy is so much more important than than having that baby back ribs, than living off of baby back ribs, even though I love me some baby back ribs, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know? 
And, and that's really what helped me. And, and then God's been able to give me more wins than I could have ever created by myself if I was distracted because of this childish. And I looked at it for me, it was a childish drive. It's like, bro, do the math, man. Like what real value are you getting from this? In fact, you're opening your life up to so much risk, so much risk, man. One of these chicks gets you, Satan uses this to give you something like that's a lot of risk, bro. And a lot of energy. So, you know, um, yeah, man, that kind of helped me snap out of it and, and get into hyperdrive, man. That's good stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's, and that's the thing is like, um, you know, we're, you know, the way we're built as creatures, uh, men and women, like women, women know how to like circumvent your little walls you put up and they know how to dig in. And if, and if a woman sees value, it's in their nature to seek a man they see value in, right? Because that's our nature. And the, and people are trying to destroy the archetypes of masculine responsibility and feminine responsibility, right? They're even trying to destroy the concept of gender in general. Mm-hmm. But, you know, um, the concept is, that's why the nature goes that way is because they are seeking somebody they see value in for in nature protection yeah. and all, all those other things, childbearing, all that. So what they'll do is even though they're out being a party girl, or whatever, if one of them sees value in you, they're going to figure out a way in a very clever way, survival instinct, (laughs) sink their cloth in you. And and you're, you're such a dummy, you know, because you're seeking things that are fleshly and emotional and all that other stuff. Your feminine trait, believe it or not, you're going to fall for it. You're not going to see it. You're going to fall for it. I fell victim to it too. Wasted a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of energy with no return, yeah. no return for what? 10 seconds ultimately. Yeah. Like and five, 10 seconds. And it frustrates your purpose. Yeah. And, and then you have that moment of clarity, right? Yeah. Like after, after that climax, all of a sudden you're, you got no, the fog's not there and you're like, <laughs> what did I just do? It's like I always look at it as like like when when like the werewolf guy like wakes back up and he's like his clothes are all torn and he's like uh. <laughs> and he's gonna like run back through the village half naked and get back to his hotel you know and like try to clean all the blood off of him <laughs> anyway yeah. yeah man little little rabbit hole into the ladies man but let's see here masculinity man I know that's something that you're passionate about you have a lot of things that are really really um that you're really far along in in terms of like what you can give to people so we are probably going to have to do another one but like let's talk about masculinity you kind of touched on it what do you think is a good picture of masculinity and what do you think do you think how do you think that's under attack in today's society you know like first we'll paint the picture of it how is it under attack and then we'll probably get into why yeah um well masculinity first and foremost is protective right that's that's the initial thing like masculinity the masculine even in the animal kingdom the ones that are you know the masculinity is the one that protects the tribe protects the herd whatever the case may be um through provision through um genetics right testosterone makes us bigger faster stronger typically um that's what masculinity is it's protective and it's supposed to be the protection over a family unit that breeds other family units under that protective umbrella um, to create more warriors and soldiers for Christ and witnesses for Christ and good people in society, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm wanting to control society, 
whatever entity that is, we can, we'll call it the devil. Cause that's what it is. But even as human beings, yeah. rotten nature, wealthy elites, governments, whatever they want to do, whatever their intentions are, if control is the name of the game, well, if I have strong nuclear families, I cannot control people because the values within the household and the ideologies that are built within that household of a strong family unit are not, you can't break those ideas. We right. tried to break an ideology in the Middle East for 20 years and all it did was strengthen the resolve, right? There's no breaking that. Right. So if I'm, if I'm a thinking man or if I'm a thinking entity or if I'm the devil, um, I'm going to attack, the, I'm going to attack the guardian. I'm going to attack the protector. I'm going to attack the one that protects everybody and provides the provision for this nucleus to thrive. Right. That's the first thing I'm going to attack. Because once I get that masculine behavior out of the way, once I get that protection out of the way, now I can attack those that are weaker. And as the Bible says, the women are the weaker vessel. And then, of course, our children are, are weaker just because they're young and they're growing. And we're going to raise other masculine men and other good women to go out there and find masculine men to build those nuclear families. Where to them, to, to evil, if you talk about good and evil, and it is that simple, yeah. um, people are like, oh, there's gray areas. No, 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 no. There's good and there's evil. If you can, if you can attack the, get the protector away and to attack the soft spots, you can destroy that nuclear family. Then you, whatever entity is trying to control, becomes the protector. Yeah, you know, communism was built on this premise. Yeah, and, and that's why I think that masculinity will always be under attack. Yeah, and, um, God manifests Himself very, very masculine. Although He has all qualities, He is omnipotent. He is God. He, he, he is God, the father. That's yeah. how he is manifested, right? Probably God could be a woman. Well, God is God um, or God is genderless. Yeah. But he manifests masculine qualities above all else. There's a reason for that. Mm. You know? Yeah, man. No, that's good stuff. What would you, <laughs> this, this one's a little spicy. What would you say about this version of, you know, of Jesus though, that it's just like all love and it's like, the yoga teacher guy that's like your homeboy, like, you know, like I see Jesus as a super masculine dude, you know, like what would you say to say to that? I'll add my two cents and as you get going, but you know, like, do you think he was, you know, just this lovey guy or do you think he was kind of like a father walking the earth? Oh, you can tell from scripture he wasn't just all lovey-dovey. You know, I love what you, and it's another thing. I got a couple, it's like, I raised this guy, Byron Rogers in the Marine Corps, and here he is teaching me things sometimes. I'm like, that's good. I'm going to use that. Yeah. I like when you call, like, you, you hate the version of the yoga teacher, the yeah. yoga instructor. <laughs> that's perfect. Dude, it kills me, man. I Because I, I, I sit there and I read the Bible and I look at, you know, I see the disciples sitting around Jesus being like, yo, no, bro, you tell them we forgot the loaves and the fishes. No, you tell them. We, and he's like, what's up? And they're like, you know, like, um, yeah. like the storm's going and they're like, you wake Jesus. I'm not talking to him, man. Like, I'm like, not waking that dude up. You wake him up. Yeah. Man, or like, Literally, you know, he's getting challenged and the Pharisees are trying to like, trying to neg him, you know, they're trying to take him down. And then he drops mad heat, calls him some names, <laughs> drops heat on him. And then my favorite verse, I love reading this every time I read it. And then no one asked Jesus or challenged Jesus in that city yeah. Yeah. again. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Anyway, 
he 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 uh what's the term they use like um uh what is it um walk soft carry a big stick yeah. and i think that was his jam um you know and they and people get the term meek confused with weak meek is not weak that's it's the opposite yeah. and whenever it came to righteous anger he reacted and he reacted vehemently now yeah. the boundary was set the wall is set do not come this way um like when he went to the temple and he yeah. just starts flipping tables over and, whip, and whipping people out of there. And everybody ran from him. Like, yeah. whoa. And Jesus goes in there, blah, right? Because the idea behind righteous anger is this. There's the hyper-masculine man, right? Which is rot and rap culture and all this other stuff where they're always ready to pop off. Always ready to pop. Well, if you're always screaming and yelling and you're always ready to pop off, it's not scary when you do. I expect yeah. you to. Yeah. But if you're Jesus, who's walking around healing people and this and you know, come to me and, uh, you know, through me, you get to the father and the forgiveness and all that. And then he flips a lid. You're like, whoa, yeah. you're like, what? Oh my, then it, then it's epic because it's righteous. Now yeah. same thing when Peter, right. As he calls him his rock too. Peter's so us, right. Cause he's on top and then he sinks just as fast. He, you know, Peter, he's like upon this rock, I'll build God's church. And he calls Peter the rock, you know, cause his name was Simon. And then he turns around. Peter's like, no, not you, Lord. That's not going to happen. You get get behind me, Satan. Right. Oh, not only that, but anytime when Jesus really rebuked somebody hardcore, really gave it to somebody good, it was the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was no slouch. That was the closely guarded state religion of their time. They had power, power, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And we can talk about the difference of them too and the scribes and how much sway and stuff they had. And, and everybody feared the Sanhedrin. And when the Sanhedrin was around, it was like it was like a general walking through an inspection, right? Everybody's pop two. Now, yeah. Jesus, you yeah. pit of vipers. <laughs> Whoa. You know, and in back in those days was a hardcore threat. When you when you read um Masoretic text, you know, and you and you see that that particular calling somebody vipers or snakes yeah. or any type of slithering thing was the ultimate of insult because everybody knew the original Tanakh and the original Torah, right? Where Satan manifested himself to Eve as a snake. Yeah. You pit of vipers, not only you snakes, but you're venomous little poisonous things. Yeah, spiritual insult. Wow. You know, yeah. I and I think I think honestly, I think, and for me, the reason I asked this is because I had a hard time finding things and people to look up to being masculine in the church. And so I was always just kind of like, my mom would be like, this is a good guy. He's going to take you out for the day and show you some man stuff. And I'd be like out there hanging out with him and, you know, we'd have a good time. But I remember just being like, meanwhile, my dad's like, you know, my dad's like a mixture of like, of like Trump and Tony Montana in a bigger blacker body than mine. Right. So, <laughs> so I'm sitting there with these nice guys, these nice guys. And I remember just being like, Father, I can't like get down with this, you know, like there's nothing here as a man for me to look up to and respect. And that's when I started to really study Jesus. And the Holy Spirit was like, I'll be your father. I've got you. I'm with you. And uh, and I started to really read Jesus rather than just like what they talk about all the time. And I started to realize that like this was a commanding man. People revered him. People respected him. He was strong enough to be gentle and loving and still honorable. Um, but at the same time, when it was time to go to work on someone's face, he would do it. And then he'd raise it. And then he, and, and he, but he would, and he would 
correct people and he would build the right people up and he would, you know, and, and I, I found that to be the best example of, you know, I want to be able as a man to be able to love more powerfully and better than anyone around and also be able to like, this is, this is a science discipline in love. And I love that. Like when a man can do that, that is like, that is one of the best, just enough force, just enough lesson. The person is broken just enough to rebuild stronger and stronger. And you create these superior humans. Um, I think that's one of the things we're here to do. So yeah, man, I don't know. That just came out of me. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's very, very true because what did he do is he didn't, he didn't go and get the biggest, baddest guys in, you know, the Jerusalem bar to come out and swing with them. What he did is he went out and he got normal cats and he built them up into something greater. He's the archetype archetype of masculine leadership, Mm -hmm. you know, and his leadership, you know, he, he embodied accountability. He embodied, you know, leadership, leadership is not likership, which is, what's common nowadays is everybody's like, I need you to like me for you to lead me. No, that's not the case, right? Leadership is not likership. Um, Leadership is not a popularity trait, principle, or idea. It's, it's about, it's about integrity and it's about walking and talking in that integrity, you know, and Jesus never asked anybody anything um, that he wouldn't ask of himself. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the discipline and love thing. I think that's huge. I think that's the reality of it is like, why am I disciplining you to for my own ego or like back when people used to haze? But if you remember, I didn't haze people. Uh, Martinez has a different take on this. And it's because he was he was a little scoundrel. He's like, you absolutely hazed me. I was like, not really, though. Not really, though. Like, I didn't really haze anybody. I didn't really just make you do stuff for no reason. He, he hangs on to the, the story of me making him, like, run her all over Pendleton looking for his Kevlar. I was like, because you left your wall locker unlocked for the 20th time, and I told you something was going to get stolen. I'm going to teach you this lesson out of love because I don't want your gear stolen, your kit stolen. I don't want you to go to Iraq and you leave stuff behind irresponsibly. And then now Haji's got it and can use it against us, which has happened. Oh yeah. You know, it's all out of love, bro. But he hangs on to that story still. Oh, remember when you made me run all over Camp Pendleton? Yeah, man. You were feared and revered, man. 100%, bro. You were, you were probably not even probably, you were the most feared and revered NCO in our, in our, in our joint, man. 100%. Oh, that's humbling. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I just tried to do my best. Um, You know, I, I had, I had leaders to look up to and I had leaders to not look up to. Yeah. As a young Marine, you know, because I came to the Marine Corps with a lot of similar. I think we all do. We all come. We all come to Marine Corps. What makes a person join the Marine Corps or or Army or Special Forces or anything, I think, is there's a brokenness inside you. It's not, you know, there's some people out there that are like just that patriotic. But that wasn't me. That wasn't you. That wasn't the majority of us. The majority of us are coming from a broken place and we're, we're looking for a way to fix it. And brotherhood and camaraderie through blood, sweat, and tears seem like a good idea. Yeah, heck yeah. No, 100%. So when I see these leaders that, when I saw these leaders that were just absolute garbage and trash, I just remember looking at them them and going, I can do better because I knew what I wanted the Marine Corps to be. I knew what, what, what I had in mind and what Marine I want to be. And when there was leaders that were not facilitating that and just letting me down, I just, I knew when I became an NCO or a leader, a squad leader, whatever I was, I just, I can do better than that because I had a vision of it and I kept that vision when it was with you guys, it was the same way. It's like, I want you all because 
you know, I've also seen people, I've also been privy to things where people have died because of the leader's fault. Yeah. And I was like, I'm, I do not want you to go home where I have to write another letter to another mom or talk to somebody when we come home on the parade deck about why I let their son down and why he's draped in a flag and I'm not. I can't live with that. So I led with that passion. And a lot of times people, they, they thought I came off abrasive. Um, they probably didn't like me at the time. I didn't care about that. I didn't, I did not care about being liked. I cared about you being alive and what, and, and, uh, and what it meant to, you know, I, now you're my responsibility and it's my responsibility to bring you home to your family yeah. who used to be your responsibility, you know, or they you used to be their responsibility. I can't sit there and look another mother in the eyes while I'm alive and their kid's dead because I wanted to let them relax because I wanted to be his friend. Yeah. They're not a good enough reason, yeah. you know, you, you know, you know, what's interesting about that is I was watching a quick reel on Instagram and a guy was like, how many cars do you sell? And the dude was like a month. And the dude was like 20. He's like, could you sell 40? And he was like, yeah, I'm trying to figure that out. And he's like, okay. He's like, if someone kidnapped your kid, put a gun to their head, could you figure it out? And he's like, oh, I believe I freaking figure it out. And he's like, good. And he made a different point. But my point is that like where you just went when it comes to leadership just now, like how you you went right back there and like that bonus and that seriousness of like, I'm not going to fail these guys as their leader. And like you could feel it in the room, you know, this is one of, I think, the most important things to be able to do in life because you don't get what you want in life. You get what you have to have. A little Tony Robbins on it. But it's the truth. You get what you must have. You meet your must. And I think one of the skills that I've been able to take from the Marine Corps is I remember what it was like feeling like I was going to war. And I bring that intensity into my everyday life in the morning when I wake up. It's like, I'm going to do war now. And I'm going to try to superimpose what I believe God's put me here to do. I'm going to try to superimpose that on this 24 hours by the grace of God. I'm going to bend reality. Like I'm going to fight as hard as I fought I'm going to have the attention I had when I was on post, when I was on patrol. It's like, I'm going to embody that intensity. I'm going to bring it in. And I don't need someone to put a gun to my kid's head to get me to find that spot. And you just found that spot. And it's like, you know, like I, I, you know, I, does that translate into your everyday life? You know, like I want guys to see that and be like, man, I need to find that intensity about the things that I want to have. Like, I imagine you probably have that when you teach your kids, you know, football and like yeah. maybe a lot of the stuff that's inspired you to start doing a lot, what you're doing with your new ministry, which we'll get into here in a minute, you know, but what would you say about that? Yeah, for sure. Um, you have to, right? Because what'll happen is the devil will sneak up on you. Um, yeah. God, no, God built you for a purpose and yeah. he built you with certain gifts and certain strengths that he knows is going to be part of the hands and feet of him, right? The body of Christ we are. Problem is the devil knows it too. Yeah. And so go ahead and slough off and take and, and be complacent. And the yeah. devil's going to sneak right in there through whatever means he can. Yeah. And then you're not fulfilling your purpose in God's kingdom. And then you're letting people down and you're letting your, you're letting yourself down by letting your, your job down by letting your, your wife down by letting your kids down, ultimately letting God down. Yep. And yeah, you have to have that mentality. Every day you wake up, you have to be willing to die to yourself. 
That's what God said. You have to be willing to die. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm willing to die. Right. Mm-hmm. I get up and I'm not afraid to die. He's like, die to self because it's going to get pretty raw out there. Yeah. And I, and I need you. Um, and I, and yeah, I coach the same way. Yeah. Like I know, like, I don't want, they're just kids. Right. So the last thing I do is I want, don't want to, when I yell at them, you can see their hurt little feelings yeah. and I'm getting at an age where like, that's, I don't want to see a kid's, <laughs> you know, I'm in my forties now. So I get, a, I got a little bit more emotion and uh, I got some years underneath me and it's like, I watched their little face, but yeah. Then it translates on the mat. It translates on the field and there's success. And it's um, it's not a saying I came up with. It's a saying that I heard somewhere else. And I don't remember who said it, but it says, you might not like my methods, but you'll always like my results. Yeah. And, and that's what I tell the kids. And I, and I, I do Friday, I do Friday afternoon coaches corner, which means on Friday afternoon, um, right before a game on Saturday, we have games on Saturdays up here. Right on Friday afternoon, we cut practice early and I have coaches story time. And I tell them an inspirational story, usually from war and then how it translates and or life or whatever, and how it translates, how the field, what you learn here on the field or on the mat or whatever translates to life mm-hmm. and how right now this, this, this time you're a kid is this big. It's this narrow. It's this big. So learn the lessons you can now go out there and get it. Don't take time off. Don't get mad. Cause I make you run or cause I jump in your up in your stuff because I'm trying to make you better. Be, understand that this translates to life and you'll be better for it. And then of course, and then of course I demonstrate, um, yeah. you know, that I'm the example to them. I can't afford to let them down because we're not in war, but life is war. Spiritual warfare is real. And if I can translate some of that to the practice field, the football field or, or the wrestling mat, Hopefully there'll be better people out in life for it. And that's where the ministry lies, right? Because what I always tell them too is practice is the game. The game is the reward. Yeah. Well, I say the same thing about life. Practice is the game. The game is the reward. Yep. You know, like you reap the rewards. Like God's God will give you the desires of your heart if you do the right things. Um, and um, just yesterday, and you got to be willing to be the man that stands in the fire and, and practice what you preach. So right. just yesterday, one of my uh, young fullback linebackers, he's a senior, got a little wily and I'm, I'm running scout. Oh, just in my work clothes. I, I didn't get to change over and I'm just, we're just doing walkthroughs or whatever. He goes, coach, I want you to get the ball. Me and you, me and you, he kept saying it, kept saying it. So I said, okay, fine. Took off my sunglasses, took off my whistle, yeah, rolled right. up my sleeves. I was like, dive coming right to you up the middle. I ran their offense, the opposing team's offense. Cause we didn't have enough kids to run a full scout. Oh, Ooh, 42 said, huh? I grabbed that ball. He tried to stick me. No pads, work clothes, everything. I smoked yeah. this dude. <laughs> just just trucked him. I'm holding him. But I, but I got to be what I'm about, right? I got to be that guy. I can't sit there and, you know. Yeah, he needs it. To. Those were some of the – I still remember after you, like, choked me out or made me tap or whatever, I remember sitting down and be like, well, guys, damn. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess I can follow this guy, you know, and it's so important, man. And 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 really, dude, what you said, I think, is ideal. I mean, to me, life is war. You know, I'm trying to get yeah. war. And I have psychological things. I've been fitted with this perfect operant or classical conditioning device that just dings, triggers my little brain. You know, a little, I'm getting a little dopamine. I want to look at stuff. I want to, like, like constantly trying to get into my psychology. I have emotional things. 
I've got to cut through everything and I have to be emotionally focused and effective. I've got to be psychologically focused and effective. I've got to be in my thoughts. I have to make the quality of my decisions will literally dictate the quality of my family's life, my company, my teammates, everyone's impacted. I have to be, I have to be a, a consummate warrior when it comes to these things. And if I don't take it that seriously, it'll frustrate my purpose. And I'll just be some dude that was kind of cool, kind of had decent muscles when he was in his thirties. And like, and then that's it, you know, if I let these things in. And so I, I, you have to like this guarding yourself and this guarding and building yourself and, and approaching it like it's a war, man. I, I don't think there's any other way. I love it. Well, not when it's uh, not when you know that what you're doing is your ministry. Right. right. So it's, um, you know, and when I know when I, you know what's at stake and what's a, you know, it's like um, you say you say you want to be lazy and you just want to be a nobody and you want to spoil um, the gifts that God gave you. You don't want to you don't want to be part of the body of Christ. OK, well, that's fine. But there's a heavy price for that. And the price is somebody's soul. Yeah. Like there's nothing. I mean, if we suffer here. And if you, if you suffer a little bit here because you're going for your purpose and you have stress and you have tragedy, that's nothing compared to the rewards on the other side. Mm. This is, this is a blip on the radar. Right. And so in knowing that if you truly have the love of God in your heart, you don't want to see people not achieve salvation. You don't want to see your family not achieve salvation. You want to be on a deathbed and say, man, if I'd have just said this one more thing or done this one more thing and have that regret, right? That you didn't do more for the kingdom of God, thinking about all the people, you know, that you're not going to see when you get up there yeah. End and state. Um, it's worth the fight. The fight is worth it. Yeah. Death is the easy part. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like the, the fight is worth it. It's worth it. And it's worth the ministry. It's not even like, um, you know, building yourself up and building your brand up. If it isn't even about you, it has nothing to do with you. Right. Um, you know, it has nothing to do me building up my new ministry yeah. and, and later building up my brand has zero to do with me. I have nothing to do with it. Mm -hmm. It's all for the glory of the kingdom. And when you work towards that yeah. with that humble goal in mind, it just it, it makes the stress and the pain and everything more put in perspective. You know, when people are trying to work for themselves all the time, I think that's when they get frustrated, right? When it's not happening and you you start looking inward and you start beating yourself up and you get insecure. You're like, oh, I don't got this or I can't do that or I suck, blah, 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 blah. You don't suck. You don't suck. We all fall short. And if you and you're just you're working towards the kingdom, be find yourself worthy to suffer in my name. Yeah. And you, you're yeah, yeah. Which the operative word is suffer. We will suffer. And being worthy. And it's all love. That's how I look at it. Because I mean, mm -hmm. like in my car doing social media videos for seven years straight and no one watching it and being like, hmm, like, what am I even doing? Seven people saw that. Seven people. Seven whole, probably didn't even see the whole thing. Like maybe one person saw the whole thing. And I remember my father just being like, you know, like, hey, man, you do it as if you're doing it under me, unto me. Are you doing it for you or are you doing it for me? And I remember yeah. just. Like, this is what I feel like I need to do. I'm going to continue doing it. Like the book of Eli. I got to go east, bro. I just do. I just, I just understand. And so he's always been my guiding light. And, I, and I've been able to stay consistent because it, it was, if it was for me, I would have stopped. I would have stopped, you know, and I was able to keep that up for seven years until it started to gain momentum. I still will drop a talk in my car and nobody watch it. I don't even care because I know I'm doing it, you know, and then every once in a while I get that 
man, I needed that, bro. You know, I get that. I needed that. That was amazing. That, that, that text or DM. And I'm just like, wow, you know, and now, you know, it's turned into something, but if you can't, and, and if you can't struggle and if you can't stay in that spot to learn everything you're supposed to learn and be perfected by that unglorious process, part of the process, you just never, you never become, man. The process is love. The painful things you go through are love. It's literally how this place is designed to make you, a, to, to perfect you, you know, but, but it takes faith to walk. It's like the Indiana Jones thing. The step appears when you take the step. Like it's literally, that's the thing, you know? So no, it's amazing, man. Um, let's see here. Let's dig into some closing questions. I think we've been, we've been hammering for a minute. What would you say is the hardest lesson you've learned in life? Easy, you know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> it's like, what's your favorite food? You know, the hardest. Okay, the hardest lesson in life I feel like I've learned is no matter how awesome I thought I might be or could be, I can't do anything by myself. I can't. No man is an island, and I can't do it by myself. And I think a lot of people get in. A, I think a lot of people feel that way, right? They're like, I don't need anybody. I can do this on my own, blah, 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 blah. No, you can't. You really can't. You can't accomplish anything big on your own. Anybody who says they did, they're a liar, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I think that's the harshest lesson because before I found God, really, there was that where I believed I had to do everything by myself. I had to put the world on my shoulders and I thought I was strong enough to do it. Yeah. And what I realized is that I am so weak. Yep. I'm so weak and I'm so flawed and I'm so broken. Yeah. And, you know, but God makes beauty out of tragedy. Yep. At the end of the day. Well, and that humility is strength. So, like, for me, it was just the, I, the same thing. I started a freaking handful of businesses and they all had to burn to the ground. And I had to be like, Father, like, I'm thrashed in here. Like, I'm giving you something to work with. Like, take my, like, why is nothing working? And it was because I was doing it all of my own strength. But then, at, and, but then, as I stayed faithful and continued the process and got to the next phase, I realized I learned something from every single one of those failed attempts that made me way more dangerous than most of the other people on the playing field in my, in my respective area that I was going to try to dominate that I am dominating. And, and every single one of those losses was a learning experience. I had to be faithful enough to walk through. And then you start to realize, man, this has all been love, man. And like faithful are the wounds of a friend. Like every time I've been blasted, it's made it, like if if you can have the right perspective on it and if you can stay focused on the right things in him, then you come out so much stronger and so much better, man. It's like, yeah, no, I'm right there with you. But I learned that lesson and I'm so glad I did because I'd still be coming up with my own good ideas and going nowhere. <laughs> Facts. Floundering. Floundering is what it was. That's what I like what I was doing in the contract world, floundering. It's like, um, but I always tell people that, um, and I, I, I've had some conversations recently um, from another group of people that I'm working with when it comes to like school board issues and things like that. Yeah. And for whatever reason, they decided that I'm the gatekeeper of this group, which was like, at first I was like, I, I am not the gatekeeper. I just joined. I'm a nobody. You don't want me to get, but you know, I guess the Holy Spirit was telling them that I have that power of discernment. So it was up to me to talk and vet through everybody. And what I noticed about all these people that are charging forward and uh, trying to make changes when it comes to school curriculum and things like that is they all have a history of abuse, brokenness, tragedy, 
you name it. Like these stories, I hope when I start my podcast, they'll all be willing to come on and share the same stuff. It just, just, you can't even, you know, uh, what do they say? Um, the truth is stranger than fiction. Some right. of the things that these people have been through, my goodness. And what you see on the other end of it is that's all equipment. You know, um, it's all equipment. Like when you go through failure and you go through tragedy, you go through abuse and you come out on the other side of it. Now I have a tool in my toolbox. Yeah. Now I know if, now I know, I know that God has deemed me strong enough to go through that. So I can help people that are not. And I have these tools to help other people that are going through it. And I have, and I can sniff things out that others can't. Cause I've been there. I've been in the filth. Right. So now I know what it's like and I'm not afraid to get hit. Cause I've already done been hit. I know yeah. what it's like to get hit. And, uh, and, it, and he, and he gets these and he builds equipment through us. And it's like, I tell people all the time, you're, uh, your tragedies and your failures are not who you are. Your behaviors aren't even who you are. Yeah. Who you are is so much more than that. That's right. not what defines you. What defines you is that product on the back end, right? And uh, and I just I hope they let me tell their stories um, yeah. on on the podcast because I think they would inspire a lot of people. And they're all and they're all activists in some form, but on the good guy side, right? And like yeah. trying to protect children, things like that. Yeah. It's like. It's like you don't have a normal person that hasn't been in the muck and mire in a terrible way that does that does that sort of thing. Right. Like it's just it's not some ah, you know, I grew up pretty decent household, blah, blah, this and that, pretty normal vanilla life. And now I'm now I wanna be an activism to stand up for kids in Jesus' name. It just doesn't happen <laughs> ever. You need you know? that you need that dark fuel, man. hundred percent. Yeah. It keeps it frosty. It keeps it frosty. It's, it's like suffering is a good thing. If you read the theme of the Bible, like suffering is a good thing, which people go, what? Yeah. yeah, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. It sucks in the moment when you come out on the other end of it, you know, it's just, you're, you're, you're just, you're so much better for it. You know, suffering and sacrifice, suffering is stronger. Sacrifice is the language of God's man is the language of God. Like, literally you know suffering and sacrifice you get stronger you want to even your body reacts to it you want to go get in your sauna suffer a little bit makes you better you get an ice bath suffer a little bit you fast suffer a little bit hit the gym all of it like the key is how well you're how good you are at suffering napoleon bonaparte the the difference in warriors what makes a good warrior i'm not saying in an old english how he says it is the school of suffering who can suffer the best those are the guys and uh, Hundred percent. You want to get God's attention? Read the Bible. You make a sacrifice, and that's how you do. That's how you literally open the heavens up over your head. I love it, man. Proudest moment. Proudest moment in life. That's another tough one because uh, there's a lot of them uh, as far as proudest moment. I mean, there's there's so there's so many that are proud, and it's not it was none of my own doing. I, I could I could say some cliche like uh, the birth of my kids, right? Like the birth of my son, the birth of my daughter was pretty proud. Um, as far as just a proud moment, just be like, wow, this this human being is actually part of me. God gave me this human being to raise and nurture. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would have to say um, what comes off the top of my head recently is, like I said, um, I was, I was a former sex addict. Right. And so I got married to the woman of my dreams, the one that, that God gave to me. And then, um, you know, I've been praying because I know that ministry was in my future of some sort. I wanted to be involved and I kept asking God and fasting and praying about nothing happening. And then old habits die hard. I got involved in similar sin 
while I'm married to the woman of my dreams recently, not even that long ago, where it's it wasn't like like what I was doing, running around sleeping with a bunch of women, but it was I was allowing women access to me. Yeah. And couldn't understand why God wasn't presenting his purpose for me. Well, the Holy Spirit went to my wife about it, told her what my purpose was, but also told her what I was doing. She even had names. There's and she there's no way she could have known of women that asked me. The Holy Spirit told her straight up. And she confronted me in love um, the way, the best way anybody could have done it. And of course, like a child, I got upset about it. Like I'm somehow the victim. Yeah. And then my, what, what made me proud about that moment was that I, I turned around and repented and fasted and I cut the root out for real, for real. I did it. I didn't just talk about it. I didn't just not do it. I, I uprooted that plant and launched it. And once you know it, through that fast and prayer and supplication, this happened right before our reunion. Yeah. Boom. Here's the Holy Spirit. Here's your purpose. Here's what I want you to do. Boom. Openly, audibly, clearly. This is what I want you to do. Same thing he told my wife. He told my wife long before he told me that, um, and I, I guess I'll say it out loud, uh, that my ministry would one day be global. Whether that's six months from now or 20 years from now, I don't know. Um, that, that I would have a big purpose and a big part in global ministry, not just something small, but global. Well, he also told my wife that if he doesn't get this under control, all of this is going to come back to bite him and the devil's going to use it to embarrass him. So uh, just straight transparency with the wife about everything I've been up to, who and what, uh, we worked through it. And then the Holy Spirit went, bam. Yeah. And I was able to cut the root out because he wasn't revealing it to me because although I was able to abstain, I didn't, I didn't get it all out of there. Didn't get the whole root out of there. Right. Cut off most of it, got rid of it, fasted for a year and a half was going good, but there was still a little root there that I hadn't got rid of that I had to discover. And yeah. I, when I, once I completely, and the, the God knows your heart, you can't hide from him. That's yeah. what I thought too, is you're, you're hiding your little quick little sins. Ah, it's not a big deal. This, this chick sent me a pic of her boobs. Ah, whatever deleted. It's not a big deal. I'm not, I'm not actually doing anything like whatever you justify yourself. God sees it all and you think you're hiding it. And then he goes and he tells your wife in dreams. That's it. He just showed me, he goes, you can't hide from nothing, buddy. No. And I'm like, <laughs> Very well. Yeah. Very well. So cut the root out. And then he revealed my purpose. Bam. Right in my face. Well, and, and there's, I mean, there's a whole nother podcast, man. Like, like, you know, the interesting thing for me too, is like, it just really starts feeling so much better to be in right standing. Like you're like, yeah. I don't want to jeopardize this. I've got the wind at my back right now. I've got my purpose. I know what I'm doing. I like when you do like make little mistakes, you're just like, it just, it's like, it's so not worth it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you start after a while, especially once you're on task, you're just like, this is just not worth my time. Like being about my father's business. And having my garments like white and knowing that I can expect the blessings and I can and 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 I can stand here like with integrity and, and be in right standing, it really starts to become one of the most valuable things in your life, especially when you see what flows through that. Like, yeah, you're gonna go to heaven. You, you know, you can go to heaven, but there's a different level you can live on where you're ushering the kingdom of heaven into your everyday life by communion and closeness and intimacy with your creator, who's helping you walk out his plan for you here. <laughs> and it's yeah. a whole other level of life that you can access. And then when you let poisonous things in your garden, 
it gives birth to death to that. And you start to you start to tailspin. You start seeing things break off your life that and you start to be like, oh man. And for me, it is quick. You know, fine. I make mistakes. I very quickly see like you're manifesting death. You just made some wrong decisions. You better fix yourself or you'll blow this whole thing up in 10 seconds. <laughs> and it's these are laws and principles. And and the the object is transparency, full transparency, right? Um, like you said, you're an open book. Me too. And I never was before. And that's where I'm proud because I made, I finally made the choice to be 100% honest about everything. If anybody wants to, like, you know, we think it's strength to hold things in, to hold emotion in, hold, not let anybody see what we've done wrong because they'll use it against us. The only way they can use it against you or the devil can use it against you if you're not already open and honest about it. Because yep. then it's like revealed, like with these politicians all the time. Oh, you did what? Well, stuff comes to the surface. Well, if you want to know, like, my top 10 worst sins of my life, I'll tell you. You let me know, and I'll tell you. I don't care. And so, and they're horrible. Horrible. <laughs> and I, and when, I, when I stand at ministry, I tell everybody, I mean, it's not from a pedestal. I'm telling you from a guy who was as low as low. I am everything, right? An adulterer, a murderer, a liar, a cheat, a thief. All of it. <laughs> all of it on some level. Yeah. And so, uh, and, that, and that's, but that's, that's the idea behind the blood of Christ. Yeah. Um, is it's washed clean as long as the, you know, the penitent man shall pass yeah. and you have to be transparent. Like I no longer fear like anything. I have no fear because all my sins out there. Yes, I did this. I'm fallen and flawed and I'm repentant of it. Yeah. And then I, and then it, forgiveness is two parts, right? It's asking God forgiveness and then forgiving yourself. Cause yeah. if you sit there and hang on to it, I mean, that's, You're that's so not forgiveness. And right there in the Lord's prayer, there's the math equation, right? And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those that trespass against us. What does that translate to? Looking at mathematically. Well, if I will forgive you, if you forgive everybody else, and that includes yourself. Yeah. You won't get forgiveness, which is part of the penance that's part of getting to heaven. It's yeah. like, it's believing Christ is God incarnate, believing in the blood, the blood of salvation that he died for you, rose and fulfilled the scripture for you. He bought you at a price, yeah. but then also the forgiveness piece, forget people forget about that, the forgiveness piece. And of course the penitence, you have to be penitent. If you don't have all of those, you have no salvation. That's the reality. Even yeah. the devil believes in Christ and knows who he is. That's not good enough. Right. You know, and um, yeah, that whole part. Yeah, man. I love it, man. Good stuff, dude. We yeah. could literally tear this thing up forever. We got to do another episode and you got to have me on yours here soon. Um, well, you're the one who's helping me engineer it. So I'll definitely I'm getting on it, man. I'm getting on it. <laughs> 100%. Real quick. What are you up to these days? Where can people find you? Yeah. So um, right now, of course, I'm still in Alaska working, working as a, as a federal government guy, but um, I am starting a ministry. I'm eventually leave government work and do ministry full-time at some point, whenever God tells me. Um, I, um, the authority I'm under is Living Waters Tabernacle in Exeter, California, who retired gunnery sergeant Christopher Gennetti's the head pastor that started that church and my mentor in the Marine Corps. Um, the guy I looked up to leadership wise, who's everything I embody. Um, they can find me, um, at, uh, I think it's, what is it at Sola underscore Fide three, two, three, four on Instagram, um, started my ministry on there where I'll be, um, whatever the Holy spirit puts on my heart to share in video form. 
I'll put it out there. Um, I also have an Instagram page um, at Ty Fox 82 F A W K E S like Guy Fox, the old revolutionary. That's where that comes from. Uh, Guy Fox, the revolutionary tried to blow up parliament and got caught because people on the inside caught him. The, the little funny mask. So um, those are two social media footprints I have right now. Um, I, I plan on big, building a bigger brand and hopefully a YouTube channel soon, but we'll see. It's just, I just started this thing. Heck yeah, man. Hey, it is such an honor. And we'll put all the links in the description for everyone to find you. We got to do all kinds of things, man. We just warming up. We just unwinded, man. It's been such an honor to, to sit here and have these combos. We could go all day. I, I, I'm having a tough time stopping, but I got all these people. <laughs> I know it. So, man. <laughs> More awesome stuff to come, man. I got to come up there and do an Alaska trip, make some content out of it. You're living off grid. I got to learn a bunch of stuff. We're gonna sort of, sort of off grid, not really. Okay, okay, okay. It's Alaska for me. It's off grid. And yeah, that... right. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, anyways, brother. Awesome. Thanks again for coming out. So much love and respect, bro. More to come. Man, well, thank you, brother. The uh, the student has become the teacher. We flip places, and I appreciate you. God bless you. And something. I'm okay. to buy it. Boom! Quick shout out to our sponsor, Staccato. My first pistol sponsor. Um, I've been sponsored by a lot of companies, right, over the years. But when it comes to pistol, that's my bread and butter. Pistol is something I believe in. You know, I'm a competitive shooter. You know, we're shooting anywhere from, you know, 800 rounds a month type of thing, right? So Staccato, being what I believe, is one of, if not the most complete handguns you can put in your hand. Um, it's got every component that a handgun could have, should have. Uh, they're actually extremely dependable now that they've made some changes. And these things are straight up tack drivers. If you're looking for a pistol that will do as much of the work for you as a piece of hardware can, obviously you have to have the, the, the marksmanship and all the different things, but different guns perform at different levels. And I want to say that Staccato is one of by far, for sure, take it from a competitive shooter, we're shooting the highest volumes of rounds constantly right now, not used to have a background guy, but like right now, when you go shoot, you're gonna see certain brands. Staccato is one of, if not the highest performing firearm that is both CCW, duty ready, and also competitive ready. So I wanna give them a shout out if you guys are looking for a good handgun to build your skills on top of, go check out Staccato, much love and respect. Boom. Yo, what up? I hope you guys really enjoyed that episode. Hey, listen, in order to get more out of the brand, I want to encourage you to go join us on our social media platforms and join us at protectornation.com. We post different types of content on our different platforms at different times. Uh, you'll get blog posts, you'll get videos, you'll get real world combat engagements and things like that. So stay plugged in in order to get the most out of the brand. In order to support us, also go to protectornation.com and buy something or join forces with me on Patreon. You'll scroll down the homepage and you'll see the link. Uh, anything you can give counts, you know, think about whatever you would lose in your cushions or like spend on McDonald's this month, five bucks a month, whatever it is. Uh, that helps, that helps us make the world a better place by making good people dangerous. Anyways, this is Byron Rogers, protector by nature and by trade. And I'll see you on the next piece of content, whether it's a video or podcast out.